you trying to keep up with me, I've got them listed there and you can go back for uh, further reference as well. But the title of the message today is Reverse the Curse. And we've been doing this series on healing and one of the things that came to mind is how curses affect us and the cost that they have on our lives and the things that they do to us. But curses basically fall under one main heading, and that is that the law of sin and death is the curse. That is the main curse that fallen humankind lives under. Now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bring you through this outline, but I wanted to start first by giving you a personal example, and I'm just gonna use myself. Um, when I was about 10 or 12 years old, my parents took us to a Baptist church. Now, the greatest thing that I remember about being at a Baptist church is that you had to dress to the nines, you always had to carry your Bible, and you had to be quiet through the entire service unless the pastor beckoned an amen out of the congregation. Amen? You got it. That's exactly what it was like. Now, later when I was a teenager, my family took us to a Pentecostal church. So you can imagine the pendulum that was way over here suddenly swung way over here. We were dancing, we were jumping, we were hollering, we were running around the sanctuary. It was a nationally televised Pentecostal church. And I remember the pastor would point to somebody and that person would start taking off running. I remember seeing people getting healed. Now this was all great, except there were some problems theologically with some of their teaching. You see, if you didn't get healed, they taught that there was something wrong with you. If you did not have the evidence or the gift of speaking in tongues, then there was something wrong with you. Maybe you had sin in your life. There was something that you had in your life blocking this gift of God. That's flawed teaching. Now, in the midst of this, and again, I'm using myself as, a, as an example here, I had a really tumultuous relationship with my mother. I tried to appease somebody, essentially, that could not be appeased. No matter what I did, it was never right, and it was always wrong. And I got called names. I was stupid because I couldn't find the right item in the pantry for her when she asked me to find something. I was sneaky and conniving because if I had got peanut butter when I was supposed to be taking a nap, then I was really evil because I'd been sent to my room to miss dinner, but my dad magically gave me a snicker bar because he felt sorry for me. But I was conniving because I got my dad to do something for me that wasn't supposed to happen. When I was about nine years old, my, bro my mom sat me down with one of my brothers and said, you know, there's a fine line between love and hate. I love your brother. You fill in the rest. That was my relationship. So I had legalism to the nth degree. Then I had this idea that God had saved me and I could go to heaven and I was forgiven, but nothing I did was right. And I'm going to get to how this all works through 
using me as an example. But these names, these things that my mom said over me, they're essentially curses. They're essentially labels that get attached like a chain around your life, around your mind, around your perspective in life. So there are curses that people say over you. But there's also curses just because of sin that's in the Bible. We see in Genesis chapter 3 that humanity becomes fallen through one man, Adam, one who sinned, all have sinned. This really is the curse. It's separation from God. It's a spiritual death that leads ultimately and anticlimatically to a physical death. So if you go to your outline now, I'm going to transfer over here and say just what the Bible says about it. It says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Most of us know that. It also says in Ephesians 2, 3, that by the nature we are children of the wrath. So there's this sin, but it has this nature to it, if you will. Then if you look, I've got written down in Galatians 5, 17, that flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They oppose each other. Do you remember that verse that Paul talks about that what a wretched man I am? Because I, I want to do these things, but I don't do them. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. I'm paraphrasing. But that's essentially it. He knows what he should do. And he knows what he shouldn't do. And these are both natures within him fighting against one another. Sin nature and a flesh nature, if you will, is also the name of it. All right? But that spirit nature and flesh nature, they oppose each other. And we have that going on inside of us. Now, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. So not, not, there's not one person that has not sinned. We all know that. We all get that, right? But there is something that happens about this nature that does something in us that not only opposes the spiritual nature, but it, it does its work to separate us from God. You see, what it looks like is there's three sides of self. You're self-centered, you're self-reliant, and you just, well, <laughs> it's all about you. You exist because you are apart from God. That is what's in nature and how it exists in us. And this is part of the curse. But when we're saved, we have this nature that suddenly is given to us. And there's a change that takes place. And what the Bible says is that it's darkness that turns to light. And that we are transformed from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So there's this instantaneous change that happens to us. We instantaneously go from being lost to found. We are now children. 
We are now sons and daughters. We now have an identity in Christ. And we have a position in Christ. We are now heirs. Now think for a moment what happens if you don't know what your title is. Are you likely to act in a manner of that title if you don't know what it is? Probably not. The example I have is back in the olden days, you know, when there was still segregation and there were still slaves in the Old South. Once the proclamation of emancipation came through, there were owners that did not want to tell the slaves that they had working for them that they were free men. So because the slaves lacked the knowledge of who they were now and their freedom and what had been given to them because of this freedom, they still acted like slaves. They still worked like slaves and were slaves because they didn't know who they were. That's very much like what happens to us as Christians. We can identify with who we are and who we are supposed to be, but we don't always act like it. We don't always know what we have been given. And so we struggle. We struggle with sin in our lives because we don't know that Christ has given us power to overcome it. But there's hope. This message is all about good news. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Old is made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So what does that look like? Well, it means that we're no longer depraved. We're no longer helpless. You see, what happens is, because I grew up in this background, this framework, I thought I had to work at being a Christian. You see, because in the, in the, the Baptist church, everything had a rule, and you had to fall in line. In the Pentecostal church, nothing in my life spiritual, spiritually really happened other than me being saved, but I had no power in my life because I didn't understand what God had given me, that he had already worked out my salvation, but he had given me his nature to be like him as well. But I didn't know what to do with that in my life, and so I thought that because nothing was happening, I still had sin in my life. So I still looked like and acted like a sinner, even though I knew I was saved. And I would try to work these things out. You know, when you are told that you are nothing, and you realize that you have nobody looking out for you, that's where my A-type personality, I believe, got developed. Because I had this idea that, you know, I'm just going to pick up myself by my bootstraps and I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see myself on the other side. And so I developed coping mechanisms. Now my coping mechanisms, what they did for me, was allow me to get through difficult situations where any time I got yelled out or any time I was told I was this or I was that, I would just toughen up. I could take it. But in the inside, just another link on the chain, being developed, keeping me prisoner. 
because that mindset, that perspective is still going on in the inside, no matter what I was doing on the outside. And so I would work hard to please people. If they needed me for this, I was there. If they needed help here, I was over there. I did whatever I could to please people. And it was a coping mechanism. Now, God knew my heart, but see, my heart was broken. And I was saved, but I didn't know what to do with that. And so I was struggling. Even though I was sinned against, I had sinful reaction to that sin. Because there's, there was a point in my life where my mom just kind of sat on the shelf for me. It was like a doll. She could say whatever she wants, but she's not going to affect me anymore because I had a wall and I was protecting myself. What that did for me, though, was harm my other relationships. It caused me, even as a Christian, to put walls up and not really relate to people and not really care, not really have compassion and not really have mercy for them because I was afraid I was going to get hurt. And I was doing everything I could to prevent myself from getting hurt. Because, see, if I'm vulnerable, if I tell you my faults, you might not like me. You might not want to be my friend. And believe me, I've got plenty of faults. So that's what it looks like. You're a Christian, but you're helpless. You're kind of powerless. You're kind of confused. You're like, okay, I'm saved, but what now? What can I do to really make this work? What can I do to make myself look like the Christian that Christ is or look like that Christian that, that Super Mary is, right, or Mother Teresa or somebody that you hold in high esteem that you think has their whole act together? I want to be like that person. How do I do that? The point is, we are new creatures now. And as believers, we should see ourselves in this way, no longer depraved, no longer helpless, not slaves, but new creatures in Christ. And as a child of the God, you are un as a child of God, excuse me, you are no longer under Satan's authority, no longer under his dominion, no longer under the curse of sin and death. all because of what Christ already did for you. He took that curse, the law of sin and death, and reversed it by giving you the law of the life in Christ. That law of life in Christ now reigns. It gives you freedom and it gives you victory. And the old has come, the old is gone and the new has come. So what does the Bible say next? So just to recap, we have this sin nature in us. And to kind of describe it for you, you have to, once you become saved, realize that you don't belong to the old nature anymore. But see, that's kind of tough because we don't have a memory delete button now, do we? We still remember the words and things that people said to us, right? 
So even though we're a believer, and even though we know we're going to heaven, we still have all of this baggage with us, but we don't, we don't want to be that way anymore. But yet we're struggling. How do we deal with this, this nature of who I was and this new nature that I've been given? Well, the Bible says that a tree is known by its fruit. So let me give you an example of what's going on. So it's my understanding that there are ornamental orange trees in Arizona. Now these ornamental orange trees grow bitter fruit. So what they do is they cut them off at a certain height, they let them grow so high, and then they cut them off. What they do after they cut them off is they graft in a navel orange tree. Now, what this looks like, of course, is that you've got this old part of the tree with a new part, a different type, a different nature grafted in. Now, at first, nothing really looks like it's changed, right? In fact, it might kind of look kind of pathetic, right? <laughs> you know, you got this little graft and you got this solid rootstock is what they call it. But see, everything below the graft retains the physical characteristics of that ornamental orange tree, so that old nature, okay? But everything above that grows from the graft on is the new nature, the new nature that God gives us. He grafts into us. Now, the tree is one tree. It's not two separate trees. When it's fully grown, it's one tree. But they don't look at that tree and that fruit and say, oh, that's a bunch of rootstock. No, they call it by its fruit. They call it the navel orange tree. See, that graft begins to grow, and it grows that sweet navel orange fruit instead of the old ornamental orange. And that's kind of a picture of how two natures kind of are there, all in the same place. How we can have memories and, and a life that we've lived before we meet Jesus, and how when Jesus comes, he can take something of that old nature and turn it into his nature because of what he gives us. See, it's in the graft. So let's talk about our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the one that brings us that graft. He is the one that gives us that new seed of life, even though we have some of this dead stuff still here, right? In Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Paul says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith. Growth begins, see, as we begin to learn the nature of God. We take on his nature because he has placed it inside of us. I, I just had this picture of 
You know when a kid is adopted into a new family? They get the new name, oftentimes, of the family that they're adopted into, right? But they still have the biological characteristics of their biological parents. But what happens is that they start taking on the nature of the family that loves them and cares for them and who abides with them. That's what the Lord does for us. When we abide in the Lord and the Lord abides in us, we began taking on his nature, his characteristics. It's not enough just to have a name. We have to have everything else that goes with that name. The love, the mercy, the compassion, the care. Those are the things that change us. If you are a new creature in Christ, have you ever wondered why you still think and feel at times the same way you did before? It's just because we still have, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page. We still have those memories. Now those memories, those labels, like I said, we still carry them with us. But Paul says that we are to renew our mind. Because, see, there's some issues that we have to deal with because God is kind and merciful to us. He doesn't just leave us the way we are. He doesn't leave us broken. These things that happen to us, these things that we were brought up with, they don't just go away. That person may move, that person may pass on in your life, but you still carry that with you. And see, there's these things that God wants to do to heal you. And we take on his nature and his ability and his power to do that. We can't do it on our own. But we can't use the things, the coping mechanisms that we've always used to heal ourselves. We can't be performance-based or we'll struggle, we'll be disappointed. God doesn't say, here are my standards, measure up to them. He knows that you can't solve the problem of an old simple self by simply changing your behavior. He must change your nature, and he must give you an entirely new self, the life in Christ in you, which is the grace that you need to measure up. Do you recall in Matthew 5, 20, when Jesus was there, and he was talking with the Pharisees and scribes, and he was was condemning them? Because they had used the letter of the law to twist the meaning of the law. They had lost all mercy, they had lost all compassion, and they were using the law to make other people measure up to it. And what they were doing was excommunicating people, exiling people. You're sick, you don't belong with this group. You must have sin in your life. Just an example. They were religious perfectionists. They were trying to work out their salvation by 
following every letter of the law, whether it was ridiculous or not. Jesus is only interested in creating new persons from the inside out by infusing them with a brand new nature and creating them a new self. Only after he changes you, only after he makes you a partaker of his divine nature will you be able to change your behavior. How many times do you find churches who they welcome new people here but if that new person doesn't act right or doesn't behave right, they try to change that behavior. If you're going to be a Christian, you don't drink anymore. If, you don't, if you're going to be a Christian, you know, you, you can't hang out with your old friends anymore. If you're going to be a Christian, this, that, or the other. And they look for the outward things to change. And what God is saying here is that he changes you from the inside out first. And how he does that is because of that new nature he gives you. He uses that new nature. And the thing is, it's not enough to imitate, to act like a Christian, to act like Christ. It's not enough. We are to be like Christ. And how can we be like Christ unless we know what his nature is? Unless we know that he loves us. Unless we know that he cares about us. Unless we know that he has mercy for us. That he has grace no matter what the situation, that he loves us to a thousand generations, that he is able to hold us up until the end of time. Colossians 3.10 says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Now, Paul also says there's therefore no condemnation. It's not God reminding you of those labels, those curses, those things that were said to you. That's not God. That's the enemy. God gives us, by giving us that nature, by giving, making us sons and daughters, and by partaking in his nature, he also gives us power to overcome. That power is because the same Christ that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of us. That's who we have living inside of us. That should excite you. That should bring you hope because it's not you. Christ already did it. When he died on the cross, we died with him. When he rose, we rose with him by faith. What we have been given to us by him is because we believe in him, because we have faith in him. And he gives us that same power. You can equate it to like an airplane. We can't fly on our own, can we? I've pretty much crashed and burned every time I've tried. But now we can fly in an airplane. That power is greater than us, and we can fly with it, and it defies the law of gravity. If you're not sure, be in a plane and turn off the engine and see what happens. That law still works. The law of gravity still works. So the law of sin and death still works, right? It still has an effect on our life. But we have a power that's greater than the law of sin and death, than that curse. Christ has reversed the curse for us by giving life in Christ. So instead of being dead and an old man in sin, under the curse, I'm now made alive. 
I'm a new person in Christ. But see, there's some things that have to be worked out. There's that truth encounter. Because again, remember, if you've grown up with this stuff, and you're just now learning Christ's nature for you, there are some things you have to do. And one of those things Paul said was renewing of the mind. We renew the mind by reading the word. By doing the spiritual disciplines, reading and praying and meditating. All right? It's not a list. It's not a how-to to make your life better. It's a how to know Christ better. How to know how he really sees you. Because see, in John 8, 32, it says, the truth will set you free. If you know the truth about you, then you will live that way. You will not be bound by what somebody else said about you. Just because somebody said, I don't love you, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He loves you. And he loves you unconditionally with no strings attached. You know, one of the weapons of our warfare is the belt of truth in Ephesians. Why do you think that is? Because truth shores us up. You know, your core, you know, when they do your exercises and whatnot, they're always talking to you about strengthening your core. So it's one of the first things you put on is a belt, a strengthening belt, right? That's the truth. You are strong in Christ because you know who you are. I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm an heir. And because I am, I know who I am. I'm not this depraved, lost, whatever I was called. So there goes one chain that you break. How about a mind encounter? Now, you know, we, we have these thoughts sometimes that are not necessarily things that people said to us, but they interject. They confuse us. Sometimes they're inappropriate. Sometimes they just fill up our mind. They distract us. I don't know. Um, early when I was a new Christian, I would read the Word. I would start getting sleepy. And I've heard other people mention that too. It's kind of an attack from the enemy. And so are these thoughts. Because see, what Satan's job is, it says in Daniel 7.25, is to wear out the saints. Well, one of the ways he wears you out is to bombard your thoughts. It's a battlefield of the mind. And we will take hold and captive every thought, every vain imagination, and cast it down in the name of Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 said, don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication. And with thanksgiving, make all your prayers to God. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, or rule in your minds and guard your hearts. Peace that God has guards our mind. Now, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I actually went to a conference in uh, California. And the Lord... I didn't even know about the conference. Let's put it this way. I didn't know about the conference. And I saw it on Facebook, and it was for women leaders. And I'm, I'm like, it's in California. I'm like, really? How am I going to get to California? I, I just don't have the funds. And the next day, I um, uh, got contacted that they had a um, scholarship. And I was, long story short, I ended up going. Now, I sat through most of the, the conference speakers and everything. I'm like, oh, this is great, this is great. But I pretty much heard 
what they had said before in other venues. So I'm like, Lord, why? I mean, you ma he made a way for me to get there. Let's just, I'll just put it that way. He made a way for me to get there. Why did you bring me here, Lord? The last day of the conference, the conference actually got out late. And so we found our way, two ladies and I, found our way to Newport Beach. It's already 6 o'clock, so we don't have much sun time. It's not like, you know, we had a, a, the whole day or anything like that. And this other lady was recruiting this young woman, and so they kind of went towards the water and were talking. And I was just left sitting there on the sand by myself. And then all of a sudden, God started speaking to me. Now, it's not like I hadn't heard God's voice before, but let me just say for the last four years, I have struggled with thoughts, bombarding thoughts. I would be in praise and worship and just have just strange stuff. I mean, I can't even describe it to you, but I would have trouble concentrating on the song sometimes, and so I would stop singing and just close my eyes and start praying. And I would pray the verses, Lord, I have the mind of Christ. I cast down all vain thoughts and imaginations in the name of Jesus. I'm like, what is this? It's the enemy trying to bombard me, trying to harass me, trying to wear me out. And the Lord healed me of that at that conference. I sat there on the beach for the first time in four years and just heard the ocean. Peace. He brings us peace. A power encounter. That's kind of the last encounter I want to go over with you because you see, the enemy is roaring like a lion to devour us. And, you know, I had this thought about the Lord and, and relationships in the sense that. If you believe a lie, and I'm just going to throw this example out. Let's say somebody told you that somebody you knew betrayed you. Would the way you treat that person or react around that person be different after you knew that? If you believed that was true about that person, would you relate to them in the same way? You wouldn't, right? Satan tells lies about us. He tells lies about Jesus and how Jesus loves us and how what Jesus wants for us, the best that he wants for us, isn't what we want, right? Remember that war between the two natures? And that's why a lot of times we fight, because we're convinced of a lie, and so we act out of believing that lie. So if we act out of believing a lie about who we are and who Jesus is, no wonder we are struggling. No wonder we use our coping mechanisms to get by. No wonder we are still sinful. No wonder we still have addictions. No wonder... These are power encounters. And you see, we have the power to overcome that now because he's given us power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. We are not defeated anymore. That is the good news. 
The old has gone, the new has come. The new comes when we renew our mind. The new comes when we surrender our own efforts to be Christ-like and instead learn who he is and who he is meant to be for us because we become like him. Not just imitating him, but being like him so that we have the very same natures, those fruits of the Spirit, remember? Love, joy, peace, self-control, those become a part of us because that's a part of who Jesus is, right? They are a part of Jesus. We learn to love unconditionally, even those very same people that cursed us because Jesus loves unconditionally. We learn to forgive because Jesus forgave. We do these things by faith and we have power and they've been given to us. And that is what's been grafted in us. So we no longer have to struggle. We no longer have to live under the curse because Jesus has reversed it. 